You're listening to Words of Encouragement, the preaching ministry from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana. Living in a foreign land, believer strangers have been touched by God. Believer strangers have been touched by God. Today, on Words of Encouragement. at home and in this world anymore and that's what we've been talking about living in a foreign land believers strangers have been touched by God have you ever met or watched someone who was majorly talented someone who was just someone you just thought wow how in the world what some of you may take it a step further and say, why in the world, God, did you not give that to me? But, but we look at someone and we think, look at this talent. And we've seen, I always like to watch the Olympics and see the talent that comes out of the United States and just to see what these people can do. And it's incredible to watch. Um, I've been totally blown away each time I watch American Idol and see some of these people from, pardon me, podunk nowhere you know, that, that, that wind up on this show, and it's like, what? Listen to this voice. What? Look at what God has given to this person. Listen to this voice. It's just, I, I'm blown away. Truly talented jewels in the backwoods of our nation. Uh, an American Idol out there trying to, you know, trying to find them, uh, trying to highlight them, and uh, I think that's pretty cool. That's neat to watch. But God sets His children apart from the rest of the world to highlight his own talent. Where American Idol says, oh look, here's a singer and we're going to highlight you. God says, here you are and I'm going to highlight myself through you. I'm going to let others know, help others to know who I am through you. And so God has talented us with many, many different abilities uh, and we are to bring glory not to ourselves with that talent, but to God with that talent. Um, if you are able and you can, I ask that you stand. As we look at 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll be reading verse 9, but we'll be looking at some other verses as well today. The Bible tells us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. May God bless the reading of His Word. I ask that you be seated. Believer strangers, believer strangers have been chosen by God. The first part of verse 9, but you are a chosen race. Now, a lot of this uh, in my Bible has it in capital letters, which means it comes from the Old Testament. And uh, many of you will have a little, uh, maybe a number or a letter a reference that gives you the references, in, if you have a reference Bible, out to the side. And a lot of these come from Exodus chapter 19, and Peter continues, he's continuing his thought from verse 8. Now let's 
Let's look at verse 8 again. Uh, he says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, coming from verse 7, obviously, uh, talking about Jesus that has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who do not believe, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were also appointed. But then he turns around, he's talking about those who do not follow Jesus, and then he says, but you talking to the believers living in these lands, these foreign lands, Peter says, but you are a chosen race. You are special. You have been chosen by God. Now, this is not just referring to Jews because Gentile believers were a part of these believers that Peter is writing. So it's not just talking about the Jews, it's talking about all believers, those believers who are living in these foreign lands. These believers were chosen for and by God Himself. But notice the word chosen is not implying the rejection of what is not chosen. It's simply implying these people have been chosen by God. They were chosen and they are a royal priesthood. You, my friend, are royalty. You are royalty. You are also a priest. Now you say, well now, now, but Greg, I I don't have a collar. Well, you have a collar on today, but you don't have the collar, do you? The white, little white collar. But you are a priest. In other words, you Uh, You are a royal child of God, of a heavenly king. And in the Old Testament period, God had people, he had, they were a priesthood. Uh, But today, God's people are a priesthood. He had certain priests back then, but now God's people themselves are a priesthood. Each individual believer has the privilege of coming into the presence of God. Each one of us can talk to the Lord. Each one of us has talked to the Lord. Amen? Have you done that lately? I am going to ask ask for a show of hands. Uh, Have you talked to the Lord lately? Okay, yeah? Good, good, good. Reassure the preacher. (laughs) Help him to think well. Uh, (laughs) But we we can talk to the Lord. We don't have to go through someone else. We don't have to depend on someone else to talk to God for us. We can talk to the Lord. So we are a part of a royal priesthood. We only are able to talk to God through the mediator who is Jesus the Christ. Well, the next phrase states that we are a holy nation. We are a nation set apart from the world. As people are set apart from the world, we are going to be different. A holy nation. A holy nation. You, as a child of God, are a part of a holy nation. Please do not hear the word America in that. Please do not hear that when I say holy nation. When I say holy nation, I mean believers. Believers. Those of us who are God's children are a nation within this nation of America. We are a nation within the nation of Brazil. Where any other country you can think of where there are Christians, they make up a little nation of themselves, God's children, in that nation. All right? So, and I know we we have combined and pulled our nation together so much with Christianity that sometimes we don't know the difference. Let me give you an example. 
when when they do one of those uh, when they do one of those surveys and they ask, "Are you a Christian?" and uh, one of them answers, and I saw this, "Well, yeah, I live in America." Being an American doesn't make you a Christian. <laughs> That's not what makes you a Christian. Trusting in Jesus is what makes you a Christian. And that is more important. Your citizenship in heaven is more important than your citizenship in any nation on this planet. And we've got to realize that and get that in our heads. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. We are a holy nation, though, as the people of God. And therefore, since we are a nation to ourselves, we must not blend in with the rest of the world. We are called apart from this world to this world. We're called apart from this world to minister to this world. The next, uh, uh, or let me, let, me, let me share with you, with you this. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, some uh, these Bible scholars, they say, uh, they, 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 they bring up this passage here, this next phrase. In my Bibles, it has been interpreted as, or translated as, a people for God's own possession. Uh, now, that's what the, the Greek word means, a people for uh, acquisition, uh, a people that God chose to be peculiar, peculiarly His. And the King James uses the word peculiar, a people, a, a peculiar people. And I used to think weird for Jesus, you know. I used to think peculiar. Well, that person's mighty peculiar, you know. We use that word like that, and I think, it's just mighty peculiar people. Well, in a way, it is, is kind of what it's saying, because we are God's chosen people. We have been chosen by Him to be His people. And so we are going to be different than everybody else. So the point is still made, even, even using the word peculiar as the King James translated it. It still means the same thing, different, a people for God's possession. Um, the word that is used, the word that Peter used here, means something obtained for one's own possession, something God got for himself. You and I have been obtained for God's purposes. His own purposes. He has chosen us for Himself, for His own use. And so I love that, that to think that God has chosen us. He loves us enough to want us to be a part of what He's doing in this world. He made it possible for us to belong to Him if we have accepted His offer of salvation. We are His people for His own possession. You as a believer are special. You've been chosen by God. If you've accepted Christ into your heart, you felt a longing from the Holy Spirit, a drawing from the Holy Spirit that drew you to God, that helped you to understand that what you were hearing when you heard the gospel is true. And you realize, oh my goodness, this is true. Now I've got to decide what am I going to do. Some people say you have no choice at that point. Once you know it's the truth, you're just gonna you're gonna say yes. Some people say no. You you have a choice, and you can't say you, you can say no, and you can reject God. And we've run across people that have seemed to have rejected Him all the time. They say, oh, I don't I don't I don't need any of that God stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, 
Maybe you haven't truly heard the gospel. <laughs> Something's not right if you haven't truly heard it. Because if you truly heard it and you truly experienced the love of God, much of what that is within me feels like you almost just can't say no to that. And yet there are, there are people who do. But you as a believer, you are special. Believer strangers have been called out for the purposes of God. We're a chosen generation. Chosen by God from the foundation of the world to belong to Christ. But instead of being an earthly race with common ancestry and distinct physical characteristics, Christians are different. They are a heavenly people with a divine parentage and spiritual resemblances. I always like to ask the question, how much do you look like your heavenly father? How much do you look like him in the way you live? How much do you look like him in the way that you interact with other people? How much do you resemble your heavenly father in the way you live your life? Because that's what counts. That's what people see. That's what they're seeing when they look at us. They're seeing, is there a resemblance to the heavenly father they say they have? Or is there not? They're watching. They're watching. We have a reason for being called out. Because we are who we are in Christ. There's a purpose for our calling. Look at the last part of verse 9. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We've been called out with a purpose to proclaim. We've been called out with a purpose to tell others about who God is and what He can do. That's why we've been called out. That's why we've been set apart. That's why we're to be different than everybody else in this world. We are not to be like everybody else. We're different. Let's claim the difference. Let's, let's, let's accept the difference. Let's accept the fact that God has called us to be different from everyone else in the world. And let's go into this world and tell people about Jesus. Let's go into this world and talk about what God has done. Believers are to, have been called to proclaim. God took the time to call us out, to give us a purpose in our calling. We're to proclaim what he, what he has done in this world, who He is. What did He do? What did He do? He follows it up. Peter says it right here. He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I was in the darkness, but now I'm in the light. I used to live a sinful life, but now I live a life unto Christ. This is how I used to be. This is how I am now. Oh my goodness, preacher. I, how, I don't have a testimony. Oh really? If you've come to Christ, you have a testimony. Oh, but I don't know that I do. Oh yes, you do. You were once this way, but now you're this way. There has to have been a difference that was made in your heart and in your life. And if that difference has been made, then you, my friend, have a testimony. You have a testimony of how you used to be and how you are now. You've been called out of the darkness into the marvelous light. You're different. You're different. And in and, and, and dealing with a testimony, how do I do that? Well, how would I write that? Well, just write down, how was I before I came to Christ? How am I now? Oh, but Brother Craig, I didn't go from imperfect 
too perfect. I'm not perfect. I still, I still mess up. I still do bad things. Uh, are you following Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Have, when you, the moment you slip up, as we call it, but the moment we choose to sin is the moment when you're walking with Jesus that the Holy Spirit says to you, whoa, 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 buddy. Whoa, 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 sister. <laughs> I think you're going, you don't need to do this. The Holy Spirit is there with us, guiding us. We follow the Lord and the Holy Spirit is inside of us and He directs our path. And we give thanks to a God who cares enough about us, who doesn't just lay down the law and say, okay, it's up to you to follow that. You go do it. Praise God, we have a God who says, look, here is what I want you to do, but I'm going with you. I'm holding your hand. We're going to go do it together. We're not, you're not alone. You don't have to look at all, you don't have to look at any of this and say, oh my goodness, how can I do all this? I just, it, you're, you're going to run yourself crazy. You're going to have anxiety over following uh, what God has asked you to follow. Don't do that. Follow Jesus. Allow God to guide you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you've accepted Christ into your heart, He is there. He will guide you. Follow His leadership. Do what He's telling you to do. You will be okay. It's called trusting the Lord. That's what it is trusting Him. And sometimes it's hard for us to do that. But we've got to step out in faith. We've got to step out in faith and allow Him to lead us. He's called us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. He saved us and the world needs to know about it. The world needs to know what He's done in your heart. Look at verse 10. He, he continues this line of thinking, "...for you once were not a people." But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Before God called them out, they were not a set group of people. They were just like everybody else in the world. They, were, they just moved along with everything else. But now that He's called them out, they are a people. They are His people. They were living without mercy, but now they have mercy. These Gentiles now have mercy, just as the Jews did. This mercy came not through anything they had done, but from God Himself. What a gift from God that He gives us a, the citizenship of heaven and that we're a part of a family. A family. We're part of a set group of people. We are a people. If we're trusted in Christ, we are a part of a people, the people of God. You as a believer have experienced mercy and you have been called out to proclaim Jesus to the world. That is what you have been called out. That's what I've been called out to do is to show Jesus to the world. Tell the world about the one who can save us. Tell the world that this world is not their home, that, they, that they're just passing through, that there is a heavenly home that awaits them if they will trust in Christ, if they will put their faith in Him if they will lean on Him, abide in Him. Believers, strangers are instructed also, and, and, and Peter doesn't leave it out either. Paul's, Paul's good at this, and so is Peter here. Believers, strangers are instructed to abstain from fleshly lusts. Look at verse 11. 
Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Wow, that's powerful language. Why is that so powerful? Because it's, it's the truth and it's, and it's important. And so he's used some very strong and powerful language here. As part of being of God, in God's family, when it comes to sin, my mother says what? We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. That's what she says. We don't do that. Notice Peter calls them beloved. Beloved, if you will. Beloved. He says he's appealing to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's saying to them, I love you. This is important. This is like Peter waving a little flag. Or he's got a big a strobe light or something. Well, maybe not a strobe light. That'd give us a headache, some of us. But it's a, a red light blinking very slowly. <laughs> but it's, this, is, this is a sign, beloved. I love you. I care for you. And because I do, I'm about to tell you something that might be pretty hard to hear. Okay? I love you. I want you to know that ahead of time. I love you. And now let me tell you something that you need to hear because it's very, very important. If you really care about somebody, you're going to tell them the truth. You're going to tell them the truth. And so Peter, he then urges them as people who are in a foreign place, in a foreign land, with a lot of opportunities to sin, with a lot of opportunities to be involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. And Peter says, you know what? Abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain, that means don't be a part of. Be not a part of. Why? Why? I mean, my goodness, has, has, I won't ask for a show of hands, but have you ever sinned? <laughs> if you have sinned, the reason you sinned more than likely was that it was a little bit fun, but only for a season. It was a little bit fun. I mean, nobody does something that's not fun, you know, and, and, and then says, oh, that was a sin. If it was fun, because it was fun, you did it. But then you realize, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. Because, Peter says, you are to abstain because they war against the soul. Heavy language here. These fleshly lusts, these evil desires, acting out on passions of the flesh, the base nature actions that we all came into this world with because of the sin of Adam. All of this, we're to abstain from this because they war against our soul. I mean, they wage war against our very soul. Our soul is important. Our soul is what lasts. Our soul is what's going to heaven. Our soul is what God has given to us and we need not make it filthy by, by taking part in sins of the flesh. The believer is besieged by sinful lusts like Simon, or Simon, Samson, Samson and Delilah's influence. The moment he gives away to flesh, fleshly lust, the moment he gives way to those... He has the locks of his strength cut and ceases to maintain that spiritual separation from the world and the flesh of that Nazarite vow that he took. 
in the eyes of the world, the moment we participate in the actions of the world, we cut ourselves off from our relationship with God. People look and say, well, they've just, well, psh, I thought they followed Jesus. I thought they followed Jesus. If they followed Jesus, why are they doing this? What's going on over here? I don't get this. They must not be following Jesus. And they must have cut themselves off from Jesus. And the world looks and watches and says, hmm, yeah, uh, it may not be a real deal there. That person who says they're a Christian, but they're dealing in this fleshly lust. They're, they're sinning over here. This makes no sense. The world looks at us when we sin and says, huh, yeah, something not right there. But if we repent and turn back to Him, then the world says, oh, maybe we were wrong. I still don't trust them, but maybe something's weird. If they're going back to this Jesus, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something for them in this Jesus. But you see what's happening? You see what happens when Christians sin? When Christians sin, the world says, ah, yeah, it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Those people sin just like I do. Eh. If we, if you and I as Christians, as children of God, continue in sin, this world will never believe that there's a God who can forgive. A God who can change a life. They're never going to believe that. They're looking for us to live lives of holiness. They're looking for us to make right what we make wrong. They're watching you and I as believers are to abstain from fleshly lusts. We're to abstain, walk away, get away from that. The last thing we see here. Believer strangers are to prove they belong to God in the consistency of their lives. Look at verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Hmm. Now, the King James uses the, the uh, kind of an older phrase here, but it says, having your conversation honest. Having your conversation honest. Ha living your life in a way that is good and right before God. That's what it's talking about. When you find that in the King James, when you find the conversation, it, it, many times it's being used as the way you live, the way you live, having the way you live honest, having your conversation honest, which simply means, of course, keeping your behavior excellent. Maintain good conduct. Be a good boy. Be a good girl. Get an A in conduct on God's report card, okay? Get an A. Don't get C's like I did in third grade in conduct. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Can you imagine that I would ever misbehave? Don't answer that. All right, moving right along. That's just unbelievable, though. Uh, but God wants to give us an A in conduct. And it's important that we have an A in conduct in this world as we live in this world because people are, as I say, watching us. They're watching us. So yes, we need an A in conduct. 
Others need to know what a person really lives like when they follow God. They need to have an example. They need to have somebody they can look at. We're not living our lives for ourselves. We're living our lives for God. And so people need an example. Oh, Brother Craig, I, 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 they can find somebody else to be their example. But they know you. Oh, but there's more famous people and better people than me. Oh, but they know you. You just, let me just say it, you may be the only Jesus person they know. And so there it is. Your opportunity with them, that may be the only opportunity for them to talk with somebody who is a Jesus person, who is a child of God. That's why it's important for us to live holy lives. Where will they find someone? Where will, will this world find someone to follow? Will it be you? Will it be me? They will find someone whom they think is a Christian and they will follow. Not only does our good behavior in front of believers please God, it also proves to others that God can make a difference in a person's life. Others may slander you, but your response is not to strike back, but to live in a way that proves them wrong. I love that. I love that. Keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that, the, that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Unbelievers viewed Christians with suspicion and hostility because the latter did not conform to their way of life. Listen to that, listen to that. Unbelievers in that day viewed Christians with suspicion because the Christians didn't blend in. Now you tell me, is that happening in this world today? Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Unbelievers in our nation, in our world, are watching, and when they see us not going along with everything else they're doing... Well, they just, there's something wrong with them. They think there's something wrong with us. They point at us and say, well, y'all just need to, y'all just need to just accept everything. Uh, y'all just need to accept everything we accept. Y'all just need to be like us. Since believers did not honor the typical gods of the community in that day, they were naturally viewed as subversive and even evil in a social context. I thought that was amazing. Wow, not much has changed. Think about this. Your behavior and the way you live your life can, when others see you, help them also to trust in God. And when the day of visitation comes, what in the world day of visitation? When a person's time comes and they're confronted with the gospel and they believe there is great excitement and joy. Some scholars feel that that's what that is talking about. Now you would say, you would think, you and I would think right, right, just right offhand that when you see this, uh, day of visitation that, oh, well, my goodness, it's talking about uh, Jesus coming again in judgment. It's, it's got to be talking about that. It's got to be. And some feel that, yes, that is what he's talking about. Some feel um, that, yes, he's talking about a time of judgment for all mankind. But the problem is Peter uses this phrase and there is no the in front of the phrase day of visitation. In the actual words Peter wrote that we have copies of, that we look at in the original uh, text, in the Greek text, 
It says, as they observe, glorify God in day of visitation. Now, us, us as, as English speakers, we'd say, well, they got to have a thee in there. Now, come on. Well, if you stick a thee in there, if it talks about the coming judgment day of Christ, then we, ought, we would put a capital T even if we're going to do it because it would be the day of visitation. Uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible has a note out in the side of it, a note out to the side that says, "The day when God intervenes in human history, either in grace or in judgment." So they're not quite sure. It could be the day of judgment, or it could be when they hear the gospel, are confronted with it, and have to make that choice: Do I accept Christ as my Savior? That is the day that God visited me, a day of visitation with the gospel. And so, some, so they're not quite sure what, which one it really means. Now, the Christian, the Christian Standard Bible, different version, has this at the end of verse 12. They will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. So, you just, there, there is, it's kind of up in the air as to exactly what the day of visitation means. But either way... The point is still that our behavior influences others to God or away from God. Our behavior matters. That is the point that Peter's trying to make here. That's what he's trying to say. Your behavior in front of the Gentiles, in front of those who are not believers, those other Gentiles, it should be in such a way that proves them wrong when they come at you. Oh, well, y'all are blah, blah, blah. You keep consistently living your life before them in a way that pleases Christ, and you will prove them wrong. You will prove them wrong. That's why it's important to consistently live our lives with Jesus. You as a believer have been called out of this world, out from this world. You as a believer have experienced mercy, and you have been called out to proclaim Jesus to this world. You as a believer are to abstain from fleshly lusts. You as a believer are to live in a way that shows this world that God, what God can do in a person's life. That's us. That's you. That's me. The children of God, as we walk in this world, as we live and breathe in this world, as we interact with other people, as we do business with other people, as we have conversations with others, we're to do so in a way that points them to God. Because we've been chosen. We've been called out of this world. We're not of this world. We're in this world. We're to minister to this world. But we're not of this world. And that is probably the, one of the major, probably the most, the most major point, the, the most important point that Peter is making to these believers in these foreign lands as they live in places that are not full of believers like them. And as we live in this world, in a nation that is becoming less, as, the, as they say, Christian, as the, you know, the, survey, the, the people who do surveys and all that, as they look at our nation and say it's becoming less Christian, you and I have an opportunity to reproduce ourselves when we share the gospel message and when someone accepts Christ and that means that that one person who accepts Christ that means our nation is becoming more Christian 
You know, when they say it's becoming less Christian, what they mean is the influence of the Christians as a group is, is becoming less. I, I don't believe it. I think, uh, I think God is, I think He is calling out the true believers at this point. I think that's what's happening. I think God is calling out the true believers. If you truly believe and you're truly walking with Christ, you will continue to do so. Those who came to church because, well, that's what we did. It was a habit. Those who came to church because, well, my mom always went and I figured I ought to go too. Those who come to church and just to come and to be seen, those are the ones now who have decided, you know, I don't know that I really need this, and they've walked away. And they don't come anymore. And they don't come because, well, there's just nothing there. Well, there's nothing there because they don't have Christ in their hearts. If Christ is in your heart, you're going to want to be with other believers. If Christ is in your heart, you're going to want to minister to other people. If Christ is in your heart, the Holy Spirit is going to be calling on you when you're out in this world to make a step towards someone who is in need, to, towards someone who is hurting, towards someone who needs to know who Jesus is, and that's what's going to be happening. But I truly believe, we, we mourn, we look, and we look at these churches and all these churches that uh, you know, we have several in our association without pastors. The, there are churches closing across our nation. And I think it's simply we had a lot of people that really were not truly saved, who truly are, were not walking with Christ. And they just decided, well, you know what? I got more fun happening out here. I'm going to just be out here. I don't need this church business. This world needs Christians living holy lives in front of it. My challenge to you and to myself, is it going to be us? Are we going to be the ones that are going to live out before others the love of God? Is it going to be us? That's a question only you can answer. It's truly a decision you have to make on your own. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. Thank you for listening to Words of Encouragement. If we can encourage you even a little more personally, you can contact us by going to fbcwinsboro.com. That's fbcwinsboro.com. And we'd be happy to be able to communicate with you. If uh, you do not have a church home, we uh, encourage you to find one find you a body of believers, a group of believers who are uh, studying and preaching the Bible. Uh, find you a church home. If you do not know who Jesus is, then I'd really like to talk with you. Uh, it's a decision each one of us has to make. And it's a decision that only you can make on your own between you and the Lord. Thank you for listening to Words of Encouragement the preaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Winsboro, Louisiana.